Okay, all right. Well, I, uh, I brought my lunch sack, just in case I get hungry, because we, we have about, what, until about two. Yeah, okay, we're good. All right, so I'm just going to set this here. I, there's a lot of things running through my mind, um, and I just couldn't help but think you guys have the, the, the red thingies up here, right? So like, woo-woo-woo, you know, kind of a siren thing. And you guys remember the gong show? Who remembers the gong show? Okay, all right, well, we, that show's age, okay? So the gong show. So it's people that came up and did crazy stuff, and they got up on stage, and they had these lights, and they had this big old gong, and this crazy guy that was the host, right? So if they didn't like it, they'd gong them. These lights would go off, and they'd get this big hook and pull them off the stage. I'm hoping that's not for me, okay? All right? So this morning, I was... Uh, I was out on the deck, um, we've got this deck in the back of the house, and uh, I was having some coffee, and I was recuperating from my night last night, because we had this, oh man, it was this rowdy bunch of kids, and they said they were from the hill, and man, they, you know, they just tore the place up, and you know, we had a, oh, I'm telling you, so who, who was out last night? Who was out last night? Okay. Well, thanks for coming out. You guys, you guys, I don't know, I guess you were blessed, you, you dug it, everything went good, and you, you liked it, but you were a blessing to us, okay? You made our Saturday. You made our week. You made our month. So thank you for coming out and, and hanging out with us and enjoying um, our house out there, because that's what it's for, you know, just to open up and, and enjoy the Lord and get together and fellowship and and have a little fun, right? I mean, Christians can have fun, right? No? Okay. <laughs> I even have a bar joke in here. Can we do that here? Can I tell a bar joke? Well, that's all right. They can edit it if it's, you know. No, it's, it's, it's a clean bar joke. I don't read dirty bar jokes, and I don't like listening to dirty bar jokes. Okay, that, that's, that's B.C. That's before Christ. Amen? Yeah. Right. A lot of stuff before Christ that we kind of want to kind of want to forget or let go of, which sometimes we have a we have a problem in doing. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about um, repentance. Repentance from sin. Forgiveness of sins. We're going to be talking about when John first started his ministry. And this was a man with a message. God gave him words, gave him a message, and he was obedient to fulfill that message. Repentance. He brings in the idea of fruit, fruit bearing. So, there's this, uh, there's this uh, Greek philosopher, I don't know if you've, you've heard of him, He's Mr. Portokalos, okay, and he came out, he, he, uh, he came out um, and decided to do a movie called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Did you guys see that? My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Mr. Portokalos, Greek philosopher, not really, okay? He was, he was a daddy who had a, who had a daughter, and they were Greek Orthodox, and this guy was Greek to the bone, right? So everybody else had a normal house on the street, and he had this 
Greek temple is a house, you know, with all the statues out in front. Everything, by the way, everything was cured by Windex. So if you had anything wrong, it was Windex, right? Well, Mr. Portokalos, he was, he was a pretty wise guy. So um, what the struggle was is, is that he had this, he was Greek Orthodox, he had his daughter, and he wanted her to marry a Greek so they could have Greek babies, right? right? Couldn't, couldn't marry anybody else. Well, she fell in love with a guy that was just a secular guy. He, 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 he didn't, wasn't involved in religion or, or anything, so he went crazy, right? So over time, over time, you know, uh, uh, the young man that, that she's engaged to, he, he even becomes Greek Orthodox. You know, he, he really wants to, you know, be uh, accepted by her dad. So he's at the wedding, um, and he comes up and he does a speech. And he's, you know, in, in his wisdom, this Greek philosopher wisdom of his, and he's, again, he's having problems because they're secular and, and Greek Orthodox, and, but he comes to the realization, he says, well, you, we're, we're an orange. Let's say we're an orange. Well, their family, they're an apple. They're an apple. So we're oranges? They're apples. Yeah, we're, we're not the same. But we're all fruit, right? We're all fruit. Well, in the Christian, in the Christian life, in the Christian economy, in God's kingdom, we are to bear fruit. So what does that mean? We're, we're like a fruit tree. We're all different. But we have different fruits, just not the um, poison fruit. Don't be a poison fruit, okay? Be a good fruit. All right, when we lived in California, we had a lot of fruit trees. We had like, we had orange and, and grapefruit and, and apricot and uh, plum and uh, um, what else? Well, peach and persimmon, figs. We had lemons and tangerines. We had all these fruits all around us. So all year long, we're picking off the trees, whatever's, you know, whatever's coming up at that time, right? So we're all fruit. Remember that. We're all fruit to bear fruit. And as we, we look in, in, in Luke chapter 3, in the beginning of, of uh, John the Baptist's ministry, we're going to see that. Let me quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, Complete moral purity can only describe God. Everything that appears to be good among men and women must be discounted, for we are human. Not one of us is morally pure. Abraham, David, Elijah, Moses, Peter, and Paul, all were good men. They were included in God's fellowship. But each had his human flaws and weaknesses as members of Adam's race. Each had to find a place of humble repentance. Because God knows our hearts and our intentions. He is able to restore His sincere and believing children who are in the faith. Who are in the faith. Much of our problem in continuing fellowship with a holy God is that many Christians repent only for what they do rather than for what they are. You know, when we repent... And turn to God. We're not repenting for what we're doing. We're repenting for what we are. What we are is is the source of what we're doing. Repenting for what we are. He goes on to say, There are those who pretend to know everything about God, who pretend they can explain everything about God, about His creation, about His thoughts, about His judgments. They have joined the ranks of the evangelical rationalists. They end up taking the mystery out of life and mystery out of worship. When they've done that, they've taken God out as well. The kind of know-it-all attitude about God 
that we see in some people today leaves them in a very difficult position. They must roundly criticize and condemn any other man taking any position slightly different from theirs. Our cleverness and glibness and fluency may well betray our lack of that divine awe upon our spirits. Silent and wonderful that breathes a whisper, O Lord God, Thou knowest. Amen? God knows all. Not only do we repent for who we are, we repent from from what we think we know and what we know who we are. And until God shows us, until God shows us, we think we are something. Well, we find out that we're not so much something. That there's a lot of work to be done. And God, God wants to see that work to be, gun, uh, to, to, to be done. Let me, let me just read this real quick. Uh, Tozer again. The church should be a healthy, fruitful vineyard that will bring honor to Christ. A church after God's own heart where he can look at the travail or the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Whose labor? Labor of his soul and be satisfied. Among the people should be a beautiful simplicity and a radiant Christian love so it would be impossible to find people with gossips and talebearers and, and talking bad about others. There should be a feeling of humble reverence, an air of joyous informality where each one esteems others better than himself, where everyone is willing to serve but no one jockeys to serve. Childlike candor without duplicity or doublespeak or dishonesty should mark the church. And the presence of Christ should be felt. And the fragrance of his garments smelled by his beloved. That's fruit. That's fruit. That's good stuff. His people are to be known. Everybody is known by whatever they produce. But we are, we are known we, we are to be known for good fruit. Good fruit. Healthy fruit. So here we get to chapter 3 of Luke. And we get to the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, the proclaimer. He is the proclaimer. He is the forerunner to Christ. He has a mission. There is a reason that he's doing what he's doing. Okay, there's a reason that he's going to be proclaiming what he's proclaiming because it has to happen first. It can't happen second. It has to happen first, and it was prophesied. And we go from Malachi right right in right into John the Baptist. He's 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 prophesied in Malachi. We skip over the 400 years, and here we are. I think I mentioned that when we were in uh, Luke, maybe chapter one last time. The proclaimer. Let's pray over our, uh, over our study. Lord, we do thank you for being here with us, Lord. You are in our midst. You are amongst us, Lord. You live in us. You, you work through us. You proclaim through us, Lord. You want us to bear fruit. You want us to get into the Word. You want us to pray. You want us to be in fellowship. Lord, you want us to take communion and come, come to you and remember and proclaim your death, Lord. Why? Because there's glory. Why produce fruit? Because there's glory. Why produce fruit? Lord, it's because 
you're doing that work in us and through us. And I pray that you would be with us now and show us the way, show us your word. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, open our souls, open our minds, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You are so faithful to your people in spite of ourselves, Lord. You are faithful to us. We lift this time up to you. We pray it's an honoring time. It's a glorifying time to you, Lord. You are pleased with our time together. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's get started. Chapter 3, verse 1 in Luke. So this is in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And Pontius Pilate, being the governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, this is, now these are his sons, Herod the Great's sons, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of um, uh, Idurea, and Trachonitas, and Lucinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So we have, we have um, Tiberius Caesar, Pilate, we have uh, Herod, Philip, Lucinius, Annas, and Caiaphas. We have a political structure, okay? So right off the bat, he's wanting to make sure that he gets the time right. Boom, we've got this time right. Annas and Caiaphas were part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, Annas was the high priest. Caiaphas is now the high priest. Annas is his father-in-law. Now, um, We're just going to mention one thing about this, is that during the time of the priesthood, there's only one high priest. There's only one high priest that enters the Holy of Holies that once a year. There's only one high priest, but it says two, the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. This is a political structure. It's manipulated. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. The Sanhedrin is the aristocracy, and they're the ones that fulfill the high priestly positions. And they're political junkies. They don't, they don't, they're not, the, the, the regular people don't like them. Okay? They like the Pharisees. The regular people actually like the Pharisees because they want to hold on to the traditions of, of, of their Jewish culture. They, they hold on, they teach, and this and that. They're not on the ground. They're out on, they're out on the ground. They fill the synagogues. Okay? But the priests fill the temple. All right? So, Political structure, but he's wanting us to make sure. By the way, it's about 29 A.D., about 29 A.D. So this is the deal, verse 2. He says, the word of God came to John. The word of God came to John, teaching the precepts and the doctrine of Christ already right off the bat. This is what John is doing. Now, there's variances he's teaching from one year to three years before he gets imprisoned. It, it, there, there's a variance there, but nonetheless, John... John is preaching, he's teaching, and that's what he was called to do. But the word of God came to John. He didn't create it himself. He didn't come out and and figure it out himself. It was God. It was God. Let's not be in danger of trying to figure it out ourselves. Scripture, scripture, looking at scripture and, and, and following after scripture and living after scripture is that Scripture is the context within itself. 
Let's find the answers in Scripture instead of needing to try to figure it out on our own or going somewhere else. Now, there are helps out there and so forth that help connect the dots and this and that, but Scripture is where we need to be. So, the Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, and he's in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan. Okay, so this area, it's, it's around the Jordan, it's the Judean wilderness. Okay, it's south of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and it's north of the Dead Sea. So it's in that, it's in that region in there. And he's proclaiming, what's he proclaiming? He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What is repentance? We know we repent and we're sorry for, for who we are, right? That we just talked about that to Tozer. What is repentance? It's a reversal, right? It's you're going one way, I repent and I'm turning and I'm going to go the other way. See, a lot of people, a lot of people when they repent... Okay, they're going one way, all right, and they're turning away from something. But a lot of people aren't getting what they're turning to, right? Sometimes that's a little bit harder to really understand that. But it's, it's, you can understand turning away and stopping from doing something that's hurtful to you and or to others, that's sinful, and it's separating us from God, these things, it's okay, I know it's wrong, I'm going to turn from it. But where am I turning to? What does society have for me that I can turn to that's going to, well, fill that gap? Fill that gaping hole in my life. Because I want to seek something to fill my life. Because most people want to be purposeful. They want to be meaningful in their life. And a lot of people... Down the road, what happens is they're seeking it, seeking it, seeking it, and it's never fulfilling. Over and over and over again, then about halfway through life, down the road, they just give up. They just give up. You know, I'm, I, I turned from that. I'm living a better life. What am I turning to? Let's turn, let's repent from who we are. Lost. Sinful. Born in sin. That's our lineage. That's our bloodline. But we turn from that. And we're not turning over here. We're not turning over here trying to find it in something over here. Let's turn here. Right here. The foot of the cross. That's where it's at. That's where life is at. The finished work of Jesus Christ is not hanging there. It's a done deal. Amen? Repentance. Repenting from. But we have to turn and repent to something. We have to know, we have to, we have to understand that, there's a, that where that sorrow is and where it's directed. And as those people that enter into a Christian relationship, 
a, a relationship with Jesus Christ and become a Christian, a Christ follower. They're understanding that this sorrow, this deep grief inside of them is because they didn't believe before. Oh Lord, I'm sorry I didn't believe. Have mercy on me. I can't believe I didn't believe for 27 years. I'm sorry, Lord. Sorrow. Oh, Lord. Oh, not, I've, I've sinned. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. And I've, not, not only has it hurt me, hurt people around me, but it, it, it dishonored you. You weren't pleased. It grieved the Holy Spirit. Lord. I'm sorry. Not because I got caught, but because of what this deep down grief, sorrow for unbelief and sin. John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why did he have to come first? Because in order to be saved, to come to salvation, there has to be a repentance. There has to be this grief, this sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Godly sorrow, godly sorrow, this grief leads to repentance. All that God has done for us, the loving kindness of the Lord, the Word says, the loving kindness of the Lord brings us to repentance. It's His work. And how much He loves us. And, and, and that we don't want to disappoint Him now. We, we, don't, we don't want to... We don't want to be seen the same way in His eyes. You guys that are counselors this summer, okay? <clears throat> counseling a lot of these different kids and this and that. Um, I happened to be counseling uh, a junior high group one year. And I'll never forget this because it was so, it was so dramatic. Um, there was a time and I had a junior hires and we were in chapel, right? We were in chapel. And this one junior hire that was in my group, we had done a devotion that morning. And I, I, I told the kids, I said, you know, I said, typically, and a lot of time what happens is, until you hate your sin, you're going to continue to do it. Until it's such a distaste in your life, and you hate it, you're probably going to continue to do it. And so we talked about that. Well, in chapel, this kid was so broken he was so broken, he was crying. I had to take him out of chapel. We talked outside. I said, what, what is it? He says, I hate lying to my mom. But I keep doing it. I hate lying to my mom. He, he experienced this understanding that, that that's where he was at. Even at that young age. This hate of sin... He didn't want it anymore. 
He couldn't stand it anymore. Am I the only one that's experienced that? Am I the only one that's gotten to a point that I can't stand this in my life? Paul talked about this in Romans, right? Why do I keep doing (laughs) what I know I'm not to do? You know? But before I knew Christ, I didn't know any better. I didn't know who to turn to. I was turning to everything else. That's where we're to turn. Jesus Christ. There's a great story. If we just uh, head over in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. familiar story. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was a small guy, but boy, was he important. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass away. And Jesus came to that place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house tonight. i got to come over to your place. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He was ready. Zacchaeus was ready. He was looking. He was seeking. He was ready to receive Christ. Received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, that chief tax collector. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it to fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus repented. He repented. There's not a whole lot of discussion here, is there, about, oh, yeah, well, they had a discussion. They, you know, they were chatting back and forth, this and that. Well, that, that may have happened, but what Luke records is a simple fact that he repented right away. He was ready to receive Christ. He was looking. He was ready. The reason I bring Zacchaeus up, because he was a chief tax collector, and a little bit later down in the, in the verses here, we're going to see that has something to do with some fruit that's bearing out and what Luke is trying to trying to let us know and, 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 and what John is trying to let us know that Luke has written down. Proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This repentance comes before this salvation. Repent. Turn. But not turn anywhere. Turn to Jesus Christ, our Savior. The world has a lot of saviors out there. You guys can think of one or two, maybe? That you've looked to, that you've sought after, that is going to save me. It's going to get me to a place where I want to be. And if I just get there, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be good. Lots of saviors out there. Back, back to uh, chapter 3. Back to chapter 3. So... Verse 4, Luke goes on. 
As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And that speaks to that all flesh is going to see the salvation of our defender God. This salvation, you know, salvation is our defense. He's our defender God. He gives us our defense from being cast in to hell forever, eternally. He is our defender God. And I want to get into it, but that speaks of not only the first coming, but also the second coming. And by the way, folks, when Jesus Christ came the first time, He came in the flesh, He's going to come again. But you know what? He's never left us. His fleshly body's left us, but He hasn't left us. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is our pledge, our deposit. That is Jesus Christ. That is God Himself here with us. He's never left. He's never left. Take comfort in that. Take comfort in that. So this, so this, this one crying in the voice of the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. See, this was prophesied. It had to come first. It had to come first. Why? Because God said it. God said it, so that's the way it is. Make his paths straight. You know, when a king, when a king would go down the, the road and they would travel, they would prepare that road for the king. And anybody else could travel and they didn't care. But if the king was traveling on that road, oh no. The king wasn't going to put up with all the, all the stuff that everybody else was going to have to put up with. Mm-mm going to make it straight, level. Take the highs and lows, take the roughness out. Well, in, a, in, in some respect, in, in, our, in humanity, the idea of making his paths straight, every valley shall be filled. You know, the humble, the humble will be filled. The high mountains, the pride will be brought low. The, the crookedness of life, the roughness of life, It's going to be made smooth. Because the King of Kings is coming in all His glory once again. Amen? And we can take comfort in that. We can look forward to that. Let's be a people who look forward to that. So here we go, verse 7. He said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by Him, He says, You brought a viper's who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Well, wait a minute. If I'm cutting out and say, hey, John, this is a good guy. I'm going to get, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to get dipped. And, you know, everything's going to be good. Whoa! Well, there's a lot of people in that crowd that weren't coming out to be baptized. Okay, you had a lot of religious leaders and so forth checking out this guy, what was going on, because he's a threat. He's a threat. You brought a vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Verse 8. Here we go. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Well, that part of it is about the Jews, and it's about what they've relied on, and they've relied on their their bloodline lineage. They've relied on the law. And that's what he's saying. Now, you can't rely on that. Mm -mm. Romans chapter 4 talks about this. No, it's faith. It's the Abraham of faith that you're going to rely on. You're going to see that. And you're going to say, that's, I have to put my faith. It's not, it's not that they're blood-related. 
It's not the law. It's none of that. It's, ju it's justification by faith only. So he's trying to tell them, hey, no, no, no. Don't, don't, don't go that way. Don't go there. That's, that's not the right way. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. See, so this is fruit bearing. This is fruit bearing. He's saying there's going to be fruit. If you turn, okay, and you turn to Christ, and you put your, put your life in His hands, put your life in His hands, and there's going to be fruit bearing from that because He is the life. If we're putting our life in His hands, He is our life. He will bear fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So, my lunchbox here, my lunch bag. And I've got some things here. Maybe I'll share, because I'm a Christian. Okay, all right. And so, I picked up some fruit. And uh, would you like a piece of fruit? You sure? You okay? All right. Ooh, that looks really good. Should I give it to him? <laughs> Maybe I'll keep it. Now, here you go. All right, there you go. That's good, huh? Man, that's a big apple. That's good enough for lunch. There you go. All right, it's good enough for lunch. Oh, uh, here we go. Who likes bananas? You like, you like bananas? Do you like bananas? You like bananas? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to give you a banana, okay? Man, and it is... It is oh. Oh, what's up with that? Are you going to eat that one? You sure? I don't know. Okay. All right, let, let me see that. Let me see that. No, I don't think you're going to eat that one. Okay. All right, but you hold on to that, okay? All right? Okay, let me get on over this side here. All right, some of these uh, rabble-rousers over here. No, actually... It was great. You guys were great at the house. So, oh, I got to tell you this. So, last night after we were done, and we're cleaning up and this and that, we went out on the back patio, and there's little crumbs here and there, you know, right? They picked up well after. I'm going to give the wrong idea, okay? So, Aaron made red velvet cake cupcakes and all that, and some other ones, but there was this piece of red, this kind of weird, okay? There's this, I don't know, it was probably about that big, a little piece of red velvet cake about that big, just a little crumb on the, and, and there's this ant, little ant. He's hooked onto that thing, and I mean, he's, uh, 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 I mean, he's pulling. And we're just sitting there watching, I thought, I can't believe that, you know? This piece is like, I don't know, 10 times as big as him. He's, uh, uh. So then another ant comes up, right? These are not Christian ants. Okay, all right? Okay, so, so another ant comes up. He gets on the other side of the piece of the red, vel red velvet cake, little crumb, and he starts pulling. And they're like tug of war back and forth. I'm saying, what are you, guys are, you're supposed to work together, right? Aren't you like a pattern for that or something? You're low in line. So he's like, huh, huh, huh. The one to let go, and he does a little bit, and the other one, grab my <laughs> Like, oh, my gosh. Anyway, that's my ant story. All right, you guys were really good. All right, so... Okay, who likes oranges? Nobody likes oranges? Come on. Thank you. Man, you need some healthy stuff here. Oh, didn't that, that one, man, that's really good. Who else likes oranges? 
You, you like oranges? Okay. All right. Here. Here you go. Let me get this over here for you. Oh. Yeah, I don't, let me see that. Let me see that. Um, no, no, that's not good either. Can I, can I get that from you? Did that fall over there? Sorry about that. Let me see. That's more like a hockey puck. But here. There you go. That's my gift to you. Um, I, I wouldn't eat it, though. Okay? All right? Okay. Fruit. Bearing fruit. Okay? So my question to you, not just the ones holding the fruit, to us all, myself included, what fruit are we bearing? Are we actually bearing fruit that has some substance to it? That has Jesus Christ to it? That has value? Nourishment in the Holy Spirit? Nourishment in the Word? Nourishment in life? Sweet. Good. Healthy. Is that the fruit we're bearing? Or the plastic fruit? The look-alike fruit? The stuff that, well, you're not going to eat it. Kind of looks good from the outside, but you're not going to take part in it. You're not going to take that fruit. What kind of fruit are we producing in our life? Question for us all. It's not, I'm not throwing that out there just for you. I have to meditate on that as well. What is it that's in my life that's a, that's a, that's a mask that I want somebody to perceive something that's not really happening? That's good, that's of the Lord, or that's Christian, Christian you know, stuff. And in the church, we might look at it as, are we, are we um, the plastic fruit is churchianity. Oh, we're churchianity. We're doing churchianity. 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 Okay? We're doing that. And so, look at us. We're doing churchianity. Look at the fruit. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's see if it's fruit. It's just it could be plastic fruit. Let's do Christianity. Let's do Jesus Christ. Let's do the real fruit, the stuff with substance, that has meaning, that has purpose, that fills us and nourishes our souls. You can keep the apple, okay? All right, we're good. Okay. Because, oh, and you keep the orange, okay, over there with the orange, because I'm a Christian. And I want to bear good fruit. Okay. All right. Okay. There we go. So John the Baptist is going to talk to three people, three different, three different groups of people. Okay. So it's bear fruits in keeping with repentance. This is verse eight. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. In other words, you know, look, don't, don't limit God. Don't put him in a box. He's way outside the box, much bigger than your own thoughts and your ways. Okay, your traditions or whatever it is. Don't stick him in there. Verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying, folks, the axe is there. I'm here. The one is coming. And I'm telling you, he's coming because just a few verses down, not today, but 
Next study, right? Jesus Christ enters the picture. He's coming. He's coming. It's right here. The axe is here. I'm, I'm telling you. You know, turn the lights on, right? Whoa, hey. I'm telling you. It's right here. The axe is right here. So, verse 10. Verse 10. Whoa, okay. We believe you, John. Right? Verse 10. In the crowds. So that would be the... The, the basic group of the people, right? Not, nobody specific, but just the people. That'd be us, right? We're just out here. Whoa. They're asking him, what then shall we do? What, is it, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to, 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 to turn? And, you know, what, what is it that we need to do? And he just, he answered. This isn't rocket science. Even a child can understand. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. That's it? Yeah. Actually, share what you have. Give. Give out of your abundance. And at times, give out of your lack, even. Who has two tunics to share with him who has none? Whoever has food is to do likewise. This speaks of giving yourself over and in, in out of your convenience, you know, like, like outside of your convenience, to be inconvenienced. People need help or need, something needs to be done or, or you're called to do something and this and that. Well, it's not convenient. It's not on my way. It's not, you know, pff, man, I got to do this, you know. No, I really don't have to do it. Well, I guess I do. Well, maybe. I don't know, you know. But, you know, I, well, because I'm a Christian, I'll go ahead and do it. No, the idea is that you want to give because Christ has given everything and we have nothing, nothing but what we get from him. So uh, I won't go, uh, we don't need to go there. I'm just going to share the story. In Luke chapter 1, 25 through 37, it's a good Samaritan. That's a great story. It's a great story of giving over yourself, you know, and it, and it really speaks to those. This is the idea is that why am I telling you this? He says, well, this is simple. Why am I telling you this? Well, because even the the most knowledgeable and the most respected men need to hear this. Why? It's because a good Samaritan, right? The guy that's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, he gets uh, hammered by thieves and he's laying on the ground, this and that. Who's the first one to pass him by? Priest. A priest. They serve the temple of God. (laughs) can't get near that guy what it's the next one Levite a Levite huh oh Zachariah is a Levite John's dad Levite comes 
These are the, these are the folks, the reason he says, these are the folks that would, would, would know the most of what they should be doing. Plastic fruit. Plastic fruit. And who, who was the third one? Well, good Samaritan. Well, it was a Samaritan, right? And why did he use that example? It's because the Jews hated Samaritans. They were crossbreeds between Syria and, 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 and the Jews in Israel. And they, they lived in the middle part of Israel. Okay, so like if you're going from Galilee down to Judea, or Judea to Galilee, guess where you had to go through or around? You had to go through Samaria or around Samaria. That was biting when Jesus, when Jesus says that. That was like, oh, that's what he's getting at. Even the best of us, even the, the ones that have the, you know, they got a lot of knowledge, a lot of years, a lot of experience, you know, in, in the church, okay? Well, those who don't want to be bothered with the little things and the, the, the poor and the suffering and so forth, you know what? That's the churchianity. That's the plastic fruit stuff. Because the primary role of us as a Christian is to help those in need. To, to, to see that need and try to fill it. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's a great story, a great, great illustration. So, here we go on, verse 12. There's another group of people, a tax collector. We just talked about Zacchaeus, right? We talked about repentance, how he was a great example of repentance. Tax collector, verse 12 also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? What shall we do? He said, well, 13. Verse 13, it's pretty simple. He said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. When? A little harder than you might think. That was a position to ingratiate yourself. Remember Zacchaeus, was he poor or rich? He was rich. Why? Hmm. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. I have a feeling he collected a little bit more than he was authorized to do. He says, I'm going to give it all back and then, then, then some. Right? Repentance. Let him to do that. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. In Deuteronomy, we're not going to go there. Deuteronomy, if you want to take it down. Uh, chapter 25, 13 through 16. Deuteronomy. It goes way back. There's something about weights and measures. Okay? The word says, do not carry a large weight and a small weight. Do not at home keep a large measure and a small measure. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is, do not treat people differently. Do not treat one person this way, take out the small measure, if you're going to weigh something out and trade out or, or charge somebody. Uh-uh. Carry equal weights, equal measures in your life. Equal weights and equal measures, right? So this is, this is another way to bear fruit. This is another way to bear fruit. Treat people Equally, no partiality, right? No partiality.
There's a great story in Exodus chapter 16. That's when God's going to produce the manna, drop the manna down, right? Okay? And, and so, drops it down. He says, don't take any more than you need for the day because it's going to rot the next day. But there's a big lesson in all of this. It says, look, all of you go out and, and, and gather, okay? Well, if you recall the story back then, or if you, if you go to it, Exodus um, uh, chapter 16, is that all went out to gather, but only some gathered a little. Others gather, gathered a whole bunch, okay? And at the end of the day, see, they were each to get an omer. Okay, each in the family was to get an omer. And at the end of the day, it said, those who, who gathered little had no lack, okay? And those who, who gathered much didn't, didn't have anything extra. Why is that? It's because those folks who gathered much, who had the op- op- opportunity, had the ability, had the productivity to gather much, they weren't gathering it just for themselves. They understood they were gathering it for themselves and for the others who couldn't get much. What about those who were older, elderly? Maybe they had a something wrong with their legs, maybe their arms. Maybe they were just too sickly to get out. How much are they going to be able to get for themselves? Not much or none. But what happened at the end of the day? Beautiful example of the Lord's people understanding that. At the end of the day, all had an omer. It's because the ones who could, who could make more, produce more, okay, did so not for themselves only. They provided for their family, but then it got provided to others that were in need. You know, we, we live in the greatest productive country in the world. This, this country has afforded people to produce like none other. And we have been given that. It's a gift. So as a Christian people, as a God-honoring, a God-fearing people, are we not to see what we are given, the opportunity and the ability to produce and to collect and to understand that it's not just for us. It's not just for us. You are working. You are are living life. You are, you are doing these things not just for yourself. For your family and for those in need around you. Okay, we're almost done. Okay, I know we're okay. I got 10 after. Okay, we got a few more minutes. 14. Verse 14, soldiers. So here's another group of people, soldiers. Now, these are most likely like temple soldiers and that. They're probably not Roman soldiers, but we don't know for sure. But these soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? He says, well, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Wow, these guys were brutal. They were aggressive. They were harsh. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Be content with your wages. If they wanted to extort money, they did it. And it was by threat. 
They were harsh on people. They were rough. They were crooked. Okay? They got what they wanted. And he says, be content with your wages. He's recognizing you aren't content with what your life is and what you're making. And the way you're going about it, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. We don't need to go there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6-11 through 11, talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. Is great gain. And you know, um, we don't need to, we're not going to go there, but, but this idea, um, this forcing yourself upon, you're forcing to get something, you're stealing, you're lying, you're manipulating, right? And you're not content. Well, somebody comes to mind, and that's David, King David, with Bathsheba and Uriah. Wow, what a, what a sinful story, that part of his life. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Was he content? Was David content when he stayed back from, from fighting? Uh-uh. Nope, he wasn't content. He saw something he wanted, he got it. And then lie after lie after lie, manipulation, and so forth. And we even come to murder. We even come to murder. And what, I'm sorry, okay. Uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Hmm. Boy, I tell you, the sword was part, of, was part of his life from then forward, right? And that's what Nathan told him. Was that great gain? No. It was these terrible things that happened within the family. And he was, he, there was misery within the family. Absalom and these others. Solomon. The greatness of Solomon. But all these other things. All these other things. Because he wasn't content. He wasn't content. Help us to be content, Lord. Help us, help us to be content. Help us to recognize. Well, you know, let me, um, I told you I was going to tell you a bar joke. Okay? I can do that. Okay, I'm going to do it. All right, okay. So, Joe walks into a bar. Everybody knows Joe. (laughs) Joe walks into a bar. In Boston, in Boston, he orders three whiskeys. Bartender asks, would you prefer them all in one glass? And he says, no, no, no. I've got two brothers out west, and every time I go drinking, I order a shot for both of them. So line all three of them up. Joe does this every day for a few weeks, until one day he comes in and orders just two whiskeys. Hmm. The bartender asks, did something happen to one of your brothers? <laughs> no, says Joe. I just decided to quit drinking. Okay, did everybody get that? Okay, all right. Repent. Repentance. See, 
Repentance isn't a mind game with yourself. Not like Joe. As a mind game, right? That's ridiculous. Yeah, I stopped drinking while I'm drinking my brother's, you know. I mean, come on. No, that's not real. You're playing a game. Repentance is not a game. It's not to be played out on our own thoughts and our own mind. Repentance is that godly grief, that sorrow that leads us to the living Christ. Jesus Christ. Who went through all that he, all that he did and he was obedient to death on the cross. Why? Because there was glory to be had. Glory to be had. Our lives, when we repent, we give our life over to Christ. We give ourselves into Christ. We yield to the Holy Spirit. We allow Him just to take, to take residence and get out of the way. Get out of the way. Let Him guide and direct our lives. Let Him influence our lives. Let Him bear the fruit. Amen? All right. And I'll just leave you with this. John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, uh, uh, 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is He that is in you that is in the world. I just want to let you know if there's anybody here, and you may need to hear this, is that if you're struggling mentally, spiritually, physically, greater is He that is in you that is in the world. Greater is He than any influence in this world, the power and the spirit of the air, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual. We all battle with one of those or all of them at some point or another. But know that God is greater. That Jesus is greater. That the Holy Spirit is greater. Amen? All right. Let me go and pray for us. Thank you, guys. Uh, it was uh, nice being here. and the, Those didn't go off, and I didn't see a big hook. So I made it through another one. All right. Very good.